This episode is brought to you by The V1 Project. Before we dive into today's episode of the Lift Effect Podcast, I want to tell you about something that's really quite special to me. It's called The V1 Project, and it's all about bringing professional pilots together to create a supportive community. You know, being a pilot is more than just a job. It's a way of life. The V1 Project is here to help you cultivate a core set of values and virtues that will help you enhance not just your career, but all aspects of your life. Many of you have reached out and asked about the Lift Effect Mental Skills course for value-based living. While we're not offering that course right now as a standalone course, we have included it as the first four months of the V1 Project. So if you want to take that course, you got to go into the V1 Project to get it. But here's the thing. The V1 Project is not just about what you learn, it's about who you meet. It's all about building a strong sense of community. Picture yourself surrounded by like-minded individuals, all on a journey to better themselves and to support each other. Our motto says it all. V1 is a place for professional pilots to build community, cultivate and develop and express a core set of values and virtues for optimal living in a supportive community with encouragement and professional guidance. So if you're a professional pilot looking for something more, something that'll take your career and your life to the next level, head on over to thev1project.com. That's www.thev1as as in the number one, not O-N-E, but one, project.com. Join the V1 Project today and let's go. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Lift Effect Podcast. I am your host, Matt McNeil, founder, clinical director, and director of human performance at Lift Effect, where we assist professional pilots with maintaining better mental health and optimizing their mental skills. The goal of this podcast is simple, to help pilots and other high liability professionals and disciplines come out of the shadows to discover how we can live better lives personally and professionally. Join us each episode as we discuss various topics ranging from mental health, mental skills and performance, to business, entrepreneurship, and a few other surprises along the way. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest episode of the Lift Effect Podcast, where we talk about everyday mental health and mental skills coaching for high-risk professionals and how we can help them throughout their day and hopefully for even within their uh, relationships all along the way. Today is a snowy day for me and for my mm. co-host, yeah. Matt. Dude, Pounding. I hear that you can't even see outside. I can't even see outside. And it's cold, man. I'll tell you what it is right now. It's, well, listen, I sound like such a wimp. It's minus, it's a base temperature is minus five, which is pretty cold for Colorado, for Denver. That's pretty darn cold. The wind chill is like, you know, really cold. Yeah, it's been really windy the last couple of days here, but uh, finally we're going to actually see some snow here in central Virginia. So my kids are super psyched. It's a holiday, so they're going to go out there and later on, hopefully this afternoon, maybe have enough snow to finally throw a snowball. <laughs> Poor kids. I know that all the East Coast kids, they didn't get anything over the last couple of years. Last year was really sparse. Yeah, and the year before wasn't much better. Yeah. But, dude, I tell you, last week's episode, mm-hmm. I tell you what, our podcast, it generated a lot of comments. Mm-hmm. And 
it 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 uh in our pre-show we were talking it looked like it it made you kind of go down a, a a rabbit hole and got a whole bunch of information that you want to share today yeah which is uh Normally we do a little bit more off the cuff, but I think today we've got a lot of information to share. So I'm not going to waste a lot of time mm -hmm. and we'll get right into it. But before I do, I just want to stress that we are not giving medical advice. No. This is this is not for you to diagnose yourself, a family member, a coworker. This is just to give you information so you better understand and 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 what's going on because we are always dealing with different issues with uh, mental health and our mental skills so to help us get better and be better so please don't use this a as a way to prescribe or diagnose anybody that's where you go to train medical professionals for so we just want to make sure because when we give this stuff people start going oh well i have this right. or my family member has that and that's not what this is that's about. right and then it forces me to have to reply to your emails <laughs> <laughs> which like, you know, I mean, I, I reply to almost every email I get, but like, I don't want to have to, you know, keep writing the same thing. Like, okay, you, you don't, you can't diagnose yourself. You can't diagnose somebody else. You're not a neuropsychologist. I don't diagnose ADHD uh, in anybody. And I can diagnose because I'm a mental health professional, but I would never diagnose somebody with ADHD because I don't have the training or the, the uh, you know, the, the, the letters after my name. Uh, to be able to do that. So and that's what I want people to, to take away from. But I thought today, I, I because of the feedback that I got, um, and we were planning on doing this as a two, three part or whatever, so many parts as it takes to kind of put this baby to bed. We um, got a lot, I got a lot of good feedback on this and people are very interested in this. Primarily, I think, uh, especially people that so maybe our listeners that feel that they suffer from uh, attention-related problems, um, they struggle with it. And so I deep-dived this weekend. I said, well, let me go in and do a little research. I wanted, I'm going to look at the latest research on ADHD. And there's something like 250 papers a month are published on in peer-reviewed journals on ADHD each month. That's how massive this field is. So I can't possibly read every paper that comes out. Um, I try to read up on a lot of it. I think it's really fascinating. But anyways, I deep dived and I'm holding up uh, a, a stack of notes that I took. I ended up taking about 30 pages of notes and I had to stop because uh, these are typed single space notes, 10 point font. And I'm like, okay, you need I, to understand, I gotta stop. You need to understand Matt. Matt is all about the science. Yeah. And when he's wanting to sit there and be able to to talk about something, he will do these kind of deep dives. And with all that kind of information that's out there and coming out every every month, uh, he could spend a lifetime just doing this alone. And he probably would be very happy doing it. But there's so many other things to talk about. So yeah, there's a lot more to talk about. Cut off. But I had to stop. Um so, but I, I thought about, there's a few, and we talked in the pre-show, I said, okay, Carl, here's kind of what I gleaned from this. And so maybe we could just kind of touch on a little yep. bit and kind of go a little deeper now on what we talked about last time. Well, why don't we stop a start at the very top? Yeah. And that is ADHD. The D, the last yep. D is disorder. Right. And there was some questions about that. So I guess we'll just start right there really and go, what 
is a disorder and why is this yes, a disorder? Yes, that's the, the golden question, I think, for today, honestly. I think this is the most, because this covers everything in many respects when we're talking about mental health problems, mental performance problems. Um, we all have issues that come up. Nobody's perfect. These is just kind of being alive. And there's a difference between like a problem and or something that's, you know, kind of persnickety, kind of get in the way at a time, and then something that what we would call a, a disorder. And disorders can can feel very condemning for people. It can feel like this, you know, labeled. And certainly the FAA has made a really big mess of labeling people as defective with their treatment protocols and their regimens that they require. And it's, it's been a very stigmatized system for pilots that have mental health problems, mental health, what they would qualify as a disorder. Um, it's, it's, so here's the way I want you to think about a disorder. When a clinician calls something a disorder, it's, it's a global term that's used for anything that creates excessive and persistent and severe, excessive, persistent, and severe. So I always think about this. Is this excessive? Is it persistent? And is it severe symptoms? And here's the key that lead to harm to that individual that lead to harm. So there's two criteria. First, you have to have serious and persistent symptoms that go. Now we're talking about ADHD. This so that was for any disorder, but for ADHD, that disorder part, which was your original question, there's there's these two criteria. You've got to have serious and persistent symptoms that go well beyond your age and your sex and your gender. And second, is it it must be producing impairment and harm, meaning you're suffering. This is causing and by harm. Problems. You're saying either physical oh, or, or in this emotional. Case, emotional. Yes. Yeah. Mental. 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 Both, though. ADHD is a risk for both. The environment um, has to be like kicking back so that you are experiencing difficulties. And then when you hit those two criteria, you have a disorder. That's the hundred thousand foot view, um, and that's what the clinical term is. For disorder. And then when you look at, you know, a lot of the disorder stuff comes from the government. They invented the concept of disability. The government comes and says, okay, how disordered are you? Are you disordered enough that we would consider you to not be able to, to, to be disabled in your life activities, like your ability to work and support yourself? And by support, we mean actual function. Can you go to the bathroom on your own? Can you dress yourself? And you bathe yourself. When somebody is determined, and this is a, you know, a lot of times people, man, I'm going to go off into a tangent, but let's, let's talk about it. When people are, you know, go to the hospital for a mental health problem and they are released from the hospital very quickly or the emergency department, some people go, why did they release them? And often sometimes it leads to suicide and it's, it's really awful because you got to understand to determine somebody as gravely disabled, which means you're going to be put into the hospital. You're going to take a space in a bed. Gravely disabled means often that you are so disordered that you can't even maintain basic functions. 
like eating and bathing and clothing yourself. So the term disability is really, it's a government term for whether or not your disorder rises to the level that you should get accommodation, support. So as a layman, would you equate disorder with disability or is disability just when the disorder no. gets bad enough? Yeah, that it disability is different. Yeah, that's right. Disorder is, is the, those two functions, right? Or lack of functioning. And then disability means, you know, you, you cannot, you, you need accommodations because you can't provide those to yourself. So that's why ADA accommodations and I think it's what IDEA for school accommodations and, and those, those other things. So that's the difference. Clinicians use disorder. Governments use disability. And then the, the, and the, the two of them kind of move in together. So a lot of clinicians won't use the word disability. You don't have a disability. You have a, disor a disorder. Disability means government. Does that make sense? So people, so way, people use them interchangeably all the time. So in a way, the government would, um, through their own system, if you want to say, because yeah. depending on what the disorder is, they kind of rate the disorder on the scale of disability, whether it's 0% all the way up to a hundred percent disabled right. where you can't work right. and do all that. So they are, they have their own way of calculating what level of disability for services or for compensation. That's right. That's right. Exactly. So anyways, down that rabbit hole, let's come back out. Uh, ADHD. What next? Okay. All right. Maybe well, some prevalence. The next one would be, well, the next one would be, yeah, we, cause we kind of touched on it last week and you, you didn't have, you weren't quite sure. And I think you've got a little bit more info on that. So that was something that was, how prevalent is it? Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's and prevalence. The prevalence. Yeah. So it's, um, <laughs> well, here's, let me, let me look at some of my, my, my notes here on this because I can't, I'm sorry. don't have these memorized. Um, and, and while he's looking at it, ladies and gentlemen, again, with all these, um, studies coming out every month and they get more granularity, what is accurate today could be very different uh, That's right. months or years. But let now. me start by saying, before we get into this, I just want to make this point. I made a note here and I circled this. That means, okay, I need to make this point. ADHD does not just mean that you're just kind of scatterbrained and you can't really think, you know, you're just, you're, you're, uh, uh, you're, you're kind of quirky, you know, the mad professor, whatever. Um, ADHD is a serious deal. And here's what, what makes it serious, because the estimated life expectancy equates to the research shows that there is a 13-year reduction in estimated life expectancy. 13 years. That's a, a, and there is a mountains and mountains and mountains of research on this. That, that really doesn't surprise me. You always hear about these child prodigies that are so brilliant and they're, they're like, they're so focused and then they burn out. They just, it's like, um, they, where they just, they, it's like, it's like their mind is a constantly going or can't yeah. function. I the mean, studies so are I, showing I, 13 years of surprising. I mean, that's, that's abysmal. That, that's that's a, a big abysmal. Number. That's abysmal. And the life Over expectancy is like what? 75. I mean, that's, that's massive. So pa early sixties now patients yeah. with ADHD have significantly elevated risks for suicide, homicide, unintentional injuries, 
compared to non-ADHD groups in studies. There was a nationwide cohort study in Denmark that found that mortality ratios were more than double for those with ADHD, with higher risks for people that who weren't diagnosed. And here's the, the, the trick. For people who weren't diagnosed until adulthood, much higher, higher mortality than versus getting diagnosed properly during childhood. So it's even more dangerous uh, if you're not diagnosed early. And the paper reported higher mortality was mainly driven from deaths from unnatural causes, mainly accidents. So, and interestingly, the studies um, defined. So you're saying that 13 year reduction, it was more because of accidents rather than gen- than medical or yes, accidents. Okay. Yep. I was yep. thinking it had to do more with, with a medical or, um, you know, just can't being able to, they get so, their mind is so um, scattered right. at times that that drives them crazy kind of thing. And so you're saying and here's a note. This is what was really revealing to me in looking at the literature. They found a higher mortality rate in girls and women uh, with ADHD than males. Surprising. Again, Not surprising. what you would think. So uh, a large number or just a, ju- like, just a higher rate. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a higher rate. No, I don't think it was by, by a lot, but, but they found in terms of gender binary, women were, uh, f- girls and women were at much, uh, were, were at a higher mortality rate and ratio than males with ADHD. Surprising. Okay. So that's kind of like, you know, um, some basics on men versus sort. women and what, yeah, exactly. Okay. So then what's the next, let's what, go into, yeah, what do people want to know? Let's go into kind of like, uh, causes and genetics and what causes it. And, and if, if you have it, what's the chances of you passing it on right. or getting it from someone? I mean, so that those are always, that's always yeah. a concern. If you have, if you have it or your child has it, are their children going right. to have it? It's in the, it's constantly changing, right? As this is medicine, this is science. It's not fixed. It's not like, okay, we know it's always changing and there's, it's, it's constantly developing, but here's kind of what I gleaned out of the, the, the literature and the science on it. There's really two essential domains of causation. One is genetics and the other is, uh, neurological injury that produces maldevelopment. So, um, about two thirds. Okay. And here's some prevalence in terms of whether if, which, which of those does it fit into? This we do know. The research shows so far about two thirds to three quarters of all ADHD cases fall in the realm of genetics. They're either inherited or they come about through um, what we would call the genetics called mutations. And we'll come back to that in a second. So, and then the second is that about 25 to 35% of the cases, particularly in boys, are acquired. And most of the acquired injuries are occurred during pregnancy. So if you break down that 25 to 35%, at least two thirds to three quarters of them had this problem due to something happening during pregnancy to the developing brain and the executive networks of the brain that leave the individual with this ADHD disorder. So what causes that in, in during pregnancy? Well, multiple infections of the mother premature delivery that leads to being in a neonatal intensive care unit, which leads to brain hemorrhaging and other parts of the brain is part of, part of the issue. And then 
also things like, uh, and the science is a little murky on it, but it looks like uh, maternal obesity, type 2 diabetes uh, that the mother may have when she's pregnant. And although it's, again, not, I think the jury's still out on that. And then certainly one of the things that literature shows is maternal consumption of alcohol. That's very, very well proven. And so if you're consuming alcohol at a higher rate, it's basically poisoning the child's frontal lobes and yada, yada. They thought smoking had been uh, a, a one of the, like an index for this, but it turns out that um, once they controlled the smoking, it actually then had an effect on controlling the ADHD. So it was, the smoking really wasn't considered what they had thought. It's now shown that they don't think that that actually is a big factor. So you've got um, just about anything that can happen during pregnancy that could impact the brain, particularly the frontal area, which is the most sensitive area to injury in humans because it's the, the, the latter part, the most new developed part of the brain it sits on the out, you know, closest to the front of the skull. So that's most sensitive to human injuries. And then you've got all these acquired cases. So about 10% uh, acquire it after birth. And so what does that happen? That's through head injury, head trauma, poisoning, lead poisoning, uh, interestingly. You know, that's why they've passed regulations on lead, where, you, you know, if you go buy a new property or something, they've got to disclose if there's lead paint, if, it's, if it was made before a certain, if the, the place was built before a certain year, I can't remember what it is. But lead poisoning, exposure to other toxins, heavy exposures to pesticides. Um, and so, but you know, the, the biggest ones are, so it's really toxins. This is after you're born, what causes it toxins and closed head trauma. So you've got acquired cases, and then you've got the other two thirds to three quarters that came by basically what we would call ge um, genet genetics. Now, most of the people do inherit these behavior patterns in their family history. So the, if there's, um, Okay. Any questions on that? What's your, what's your thoughts on that? Is that surprising or? Unfortunately, no. Yeah. Because I think it hits, it hits quite home, close to home for me. One of my children, um, while it's not ADHD does have something else. And, uh, my wife had a very difficult pregnancy on one of them and she had at least one of those issues and she also, she had preeclampsia also, which, yep. um, cause it can cause a lot of issues for the for the mother and for the baby. And it took us quite a while to figure out what it was that, that, uh, what the issue was. And it looks like once they've identified it, that it's, a uh, genetically has a 50%, um, uh, percent chance of being passed down while, while there was no genetic, uh, history in the family, unfortunately, uh, it may be going. Forward. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, this, it's quite close to home. So it doesn't yep. surprise me at all. Yeah, it's not surprising. And what so here's some of the new stuff is that about 10% of all cases of ADHD are due to new new mutations occurring in the parent's sperm and eggs that are not present in the blood, right? So what what this means is these are like new mutations. So if you if you sample sperm, you look at your child, you're going to find that mutations in that baby and you and your your spouse you, you don't have them unless you look at sperm and eggs. So what is, what is happening? Well, age, the longer you wait to have children, the more your, your sperm and your eggs, they call them gametes, gametes, 
are likely to suffer mutations from from just being alive because the longer you're alive, the more you're exposed to radiation, uh, chemicals, external trauma, like the trauma to the testicles, the testes for men. And, and so you're kind of racking up this lifetime of mutations. And th the data shows that if you wait a decade to have children, then you have eight times more mutations in your eggs and sperms. Uh, but mo particularly, it's focused on sperm and men. That's more significant but eight times for every decade. Now, this isn't a call to say, go have babies at 20. That's not what I'm saying. I had a child at, in my 40s. My wife was in her 40s when we had our, our first child. So, um, and she doesn't have ADHD, but you know, like, so again, this is just the science behind it. And why do we not have, you know, people will have kids later. Well, part of it is because the cost of living is so damn high that, you know, you gotta have, uh, you know, dual incomes, depending on where you live to be able to, to make a go of it. I mean, it's, it's not like it was in the, the, the thirties and forties, um, where you could, you know, everybody had kids much younger. Again, not a big surprise. We've, I've heard for years and years, they've always said the older you are, the harder it is and it's the harder it is to conceive. So that may be the body's way of saying this was not a viable, uh, pregnancy to begin with for one of one or more of those reasons. So that, that's not a huge, not, surprise. A, not a big surprise, but, it, but every now and then you get these people you hear about, I can't remember what was it? Tony Randall, the actor had mm. a, had a baby when he was in his, his, with his wife in women is in eighties. Now his wife was a lot younger, but you know, so it's every, every rock musician, uh, you yeah. know, Keith Richards <laughs> is still having kids. Wow. Listen, I used to work in the recording industry and I, you know, I did records oh. with some of these bigger <laughs> bands and, and, uh, like, I mean, they have, you know, it's like, why is your girlfriend 30 and you're 78? You know, it's like, uh, you know, anyways. I just saw today Dolph longer 66. He's, uh, married to a girl who's 27. Right. So there, there, there you, you go. go. So, you know, um, you okay. Go. So then, so what, right? <laughs> What's the point? Turns out that genes most likely to mutate under these circumstances are the genes for self-regulation. This is where, so this is where I ended up with 30 pages of notes, right? This is where I get, well, before you go okay. there, I have a quick question. Yeah. Uh, obviously you have non-genetic and genetic is, was, has there just, and you may not have that, but is there been kind of any, um, you know, what's the, is there a ratio higher genetic than, than non, or is it, is there just not been enough studies to, to say I, I, there probably is, um, you know, but, but it's again, this is like, you know, th constantly this evolving. is so it's constantly evolving and there's so much out there, um, that it's like, it's, it's hard to, to think. I mean, just remember 25 to 35%, particularly in boys are acquired through genetic mutation or, you know, um, and then if you, if you break down the 25 to 35, two thirds to three quarters of them have this happened during pregnancy to the developing brain and the executive networks. Right. So with all the pollutants out in the, in the yeah, air, nowadays, just, it's, it's just, it's, just, it's, it's infections. And you know, a lot of, yeah. a lot of women can have infections. They don't even know they're having it. It's not like they're, they're sick. I mean, you can just have infections in the body that when you're pregnant, that you're, you're not even aware that you're having. So this, and again, I'm not saying don't have kids or don't have kids. If you're older, that's not, that's not the point of this. I'm just looking at the science of it.
it's it's yeah you just have to realize that's a risk factor right that's it that's it's a risk factor so but again so what what's so interesting is these mutations impact the genes for self-regulation and if you think about self-regulation and what that means is self-regulation language and sociability that's what self that's what what affects these mutations affect self-regulation language and sociability so think about the conditions that 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 is that affects autism adhd pretty interesting so the longer men and women wait to have children these disorders begin to rise in frequency and so and there's there's been a you know and people are it's people are waiting longer to have kids which is why we're seeing well again correlation is not causation but seeing higher rates now some could argue well it's just being diagnosed that it wasn't diagnosed before true could be a, could be it but i think that the research is showing that that there is something that's happening there's a higher occurrence of autism and adhd and spectrum disorders um because people are there's a delayed you know a delay in in having children people are having kids in their 30s and 40s and even 50s um men and women i just heard of a 56 year old that had a kid it's crazy uh, female um but anyways so lots of factors that that could this you know could lead into why is this and uh, there's a lot of psychosocial factors and economic factors and and so on and so forth but but that's uh that's kind of the skinny on that that piece to it so now we've kind of we're kind of working our way down the food chain now talking about more like impairment mm-hmm. deficits yeah yeah what do they okay look yeah like? like what does it look like now so let's let's kind of deep go let's open up the open up the box here <laughs> and say, okay, let's, what is going on? Like, what is happening in the brain? What does this, what, what is ADHD really? Well, ADHD impacts executive, things that we call executive functions. And there are seven areas of executive functioning that make up how our, our, our brain works. And it comes largely from your your frontal lobes, but it also interacts elsewhere in different parts of the brain. And they, they give us our capacity to self-regulate. They take about 30 years, 25 to 30 years to fully mature. And they're delayed in people with ADHD by several years. How much the research shows somewhere between 25 and 30% delay in people with ADHD. But again, it doesn't, that doesn't really matter. These abilities that everybody else is has people with ADHD they don't have. So what are they? Well, one is inhibition, self-restraint. That's one. Two is self-awareness, the ability to monitor and attend to your own behavior. What what are you doing? Both of these are start very early in in life. Each takes about roughly 10 years to mature. Uh, if not, I mean, honestly, probably more <laughs> in boys. <laughs> um, and some of us, and, and some of us <laughs> takes forever. Still working on it. Uh, <laughs> and, and, My wife says I'm going to grow up the day right, before I die. <laughs> right. But then once you get those two right, and, and then those are under control, 
Then you get the next two, which has to do with working memory. The first one is nonverbal working memory. And we call that visual memory, which is the, it's like the, the, the capacity to be able to imagine things. You recall your images in your mind from your past, which you call hindsight. Okay. I, I can remember what happened. I got some hindsight on that. And then what do you do with hindsight? You use it to figure out how you want to navigate moving forward. That's having some foresight. That's, that's what visual memory is. Does that make sense? Carl's nodding his head. Okay. I'm the dog <laughs> yeah. in the back of the car. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. And then the fourth thing you're going to get is, is the mind's voice. You're going to start to develop language to yourself. And it's, it's, it's out loud, right? Little children, they, they, they talk to themselves. They talk out loud to themselves. And by the time you're eight to 10, that, that should, it should be in your head. Now, there's lots of studies that show intelligent people talk to themselves all the time, walk around talking to themselves, you know, every evening with myself, I have a meeting, you know, um, but developmentally, like by the time you're eight to 10, you can start to be able to, 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 um, talk to yourself without people hearing you and without your, you moving your lips in your face. So now you've, you've got your four executive abilities. You can self-restrain, you can monitor yourself. You can visualize for yourself and then you can talk to yourself. And that's kind of like, um, got little kids, you know, developmental markers. You can look for those four areas. Those all contribute to their ability to, to self-control. The yeah. only thing I was going to say was that last one, yes. uh, I, which is talking to yourself. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people do that because they want someone else to hear what they're saying but have the ability to deny that they were talking to them. They go, I was just talking to myself. Sometimes that's, I, I just, you know, don't, don't think because someone's doing that, that they can't self-regulate. Sometimes it's the, the it's a way of yeah. being able to communicate Absol without, absolutely without being able to say, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to myself. Right. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's, and that's a different context, you know? Yes, it is. You but know. I don't want people to start going, oh, well, there's, a, there's, no, no, there's no, 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 because, no. Yeah. That's not an uncommon thing to see. And no. it's, it's more of a, a way to communicate without saying I was talking. To right. You. Right. <laughs> it's really, we're talking about with kids too. When you watch kids in a classroom, you can kind of see where, where they're at. So then, right. then you get the next three, you use those four to be able to manage your emotions. Emotional self-regulation comes next. And, and with that, right along with it is, is the being able to self-motivate. And then you get the last one, which is being able to plan and pro planning and problem solving, right? We've learned about that. If you ever take an intro psychology class, the ability to manipulate stuff in your head, to uh, garner solutions to obstacles that get in the way. And then that helps you to get your goals and solve, solve the, the problems that are ahead of you. And that's kind of your, you know, that's your, your hundred thousand foot view in terms of, uh, executive the seven primary executive functions would you think that something like dy dyslexia is a subset uh or is common with no. that or is that no you would I think, think that's, that's totally different. separate that's totally that's totally different totally different dyslexia is like transposition of numbers and yeah and sometimes they like get that. reversed or or they yeah there's that's a whole nother the whole nother thing, but it is because I was thinking of the scrambling is it, what I was thinking. It, it is not, but dyslexia is not neurotypical. I mean, neurotypical, neurotypical brain means that there's what is sort of neuro, neuro, neurotypical, what's typical, what's neuro non-typical, not, you know, 
a good balance of top-down and bottom-up signals. So think about it this way. Bottom signals of the brain are like limbic. It's like the reptilian brain. It's the, the first iteration of our brain from you know millions of years ago. And it's sort of the freeze, fight, or run response. That's the bottom structure of the brain. And then the top structure is the prefrontal cortex. All the advanced problem solving, the self-awareness language. That's And so they communicate bottom up, top down. Does that make sense? And so yep. um, you want those two parts of the brain to communicate to each other. You want a good balance of top down and bottom up signals. But in the ADHD brain, the top-down signals are they're they're weak. They're not strength. They're not strong, and possibly they become overpowered by the very noisy bottom-up signals that are just reacting to stimuli. So it results in things like you know impulsivity, emotional dysregulation, inattention. And then leading to a, a deficits in those seven executive functions that we just we just talked about. That's kind of a, a quick like okay. So what is happening? It's these. Th that's why the reactivity is so high because the 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 top down signals just aren't. It's not communicating because again, remember we talked about what is in, what happens with infections and closed head traumas. It affects the outer layer of those frontal lobes. In the prefrontal cortex area of the brain. So fascinating. I mean, it's like a big computer. You know, it's a big computer of wa of of waves, of of electricity. And I guess that kind of makes sense when you think about it. When you're overstimulated, when you're in a noisy environment, and uh, you're not doing that higher level function thinking, and uh, as you say, the executive functions, and you take them to uh, you take your child to a quiet you know, like a dark where there, uh, room where there's not a lot of stimuli, they calm down and they start letting the, the executive functions, the higher level functions start to, uh, come back into focus. Yes. Yes. Cause it, it seems like the more, more stimulus there is, the more chaotic the environment, the harder it is to get through to them. Yep. Cause they, they don't know how to, they're not listening. They can't hear you because they're being overwhelmed. So let's see, we've got 12 minutes because I know we wanted to finish at the top of the hour. Do you want to talk about what it looks like? Yeah, we can talk about looks like. Talk maybe about Treatment's going to be a whole other thing. I don't think we have Save nearly time. Save that for time. the next time. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about what is, so what are these, these seven deficits? Um, what does it look like? How would you recognize it? Um, is, are there, are there ever any physical, um, um, you know, kind of like like Down syndrome. There's certain physical characteristics. I don't think no, there is really, is there? Uh -uh. Not so that I'm aware you of. Can't, not that I'm aware physically, of. Physically, there yeah. doesn't seem to be any well, way for you to be able to see things. There's behaviors, though. Physical behaviors. Now, I'm talking about vision. No, I Just don't. Looking. You know, I don't know. I have no idea. That's a really good question. I, I've, I would I would think not. Uh, maybe there's nystagmus. Was I? I have no idea. I have no clue. I would wouldn't even know how to answer that. Well, it could be. I'm not sure. I'm. I haven't gotten that deep into the weeds. But um, yeah. But here's here's what we do yeah. know, right? Um, one is you see impulsivity and very uh, poor self control and self regulation, a lack of awareness of of their difficulties, 
they're they're not aware that they're having struggles, and and honestly, the people around them uh, oftentimes aren't aware either because they're not self monitoring to the extent that a neurotypical brain does. So there's sort of a lack of awareness. There, here's a key one, especially with adults. Well, sh- I mean, hell, kids too. Time management does not exist. <laughs> it's because the working memory system, you know, uh, they their sense of time and timing and this ability to reflect on the past and think about the future to deliberate what's coming next and then use that to inform your own behavior, it's just, it's underdeveloped or it's just not there. So time management becomes a huge deficit that, and it just gets worse and worse with age because time becomes more important with age. There's more time sensitive tasks that happen. So three-year-olds or two-year-olds, they don't have to manage time. They don't, they don't, but, but a 45-year-old, it's very time sensitive, especially if you're in a position that requ- has asks a lot out of you, like our profession. A lot of time sensitive. Yeah, it's uh, deadlines and schedules needs. and commitments and you know, and think about your home. You got kids and you've got bills and you've got stuff to do. And, uh, and let's not talk about what goes on inside the uh, cockpit. Ex- yeah, exactly. So it's it's it just becomes this black hole uh, in terms of time management. Adults with ADHD, they struggle with with time and and how to cope with this and and being able to manage themselves relative to it. And so, you know, and then what happens is you're going to see dysregulation in terms of of emotions, impulsive emotion, difficulties getting control over emotions the way that other other people do. It's a mess. It's a mess. And it's really disruptive. What about awareness of personal space or boundaries? I think with children, that's just a problem, period. <laughs> if you've ever had a kid, yeah. it's constant. You know, dad, 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 dad. It's like, okay, all right, hold on. I don't know. With, I, I think, yeah, I think being able to control your spatial awareness is a self-regulatory function. And so self-regulation goes out the window. And I think all of those things are affected. It can look, it can look like many different, different things. Because of those, um, those executive functions just not really being there. So I think that's the quick and dirty. But uh, you know that that's really you, the point. The take home I want you to have is that if this this is a very serious condition, it's not a joke. It's not, you know, it's not just for fidgety kids, you know, that want to dye their hair blue. This is a serious problem, and it's really disruptive. And it's a brain problem. It's not because you're not trying hard enough or you're just lazy or you're stupid, which is all the stuff they used to think. And shame isn't going to fix it. This is a, a neurological problem of the brain. And, and I guess, please correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't want to misstate something here, but this is not something that you can outgrow. This is a lifelong um, I hate a disorder, uh, a state that you're going to live in. Hopefully you can mitigate it. And, and I think you can, out- tr- I, I think you can, well, here's the deal. I, you know, is that true? I don't, I don't I know. I think that you can adapt. I mean, the brain is what fires together, wires together, but, but there are things called neuroplasticity and neurogenesis It's reprogramming. Neuroplasticity is like reprogramming the, the FMS, if you will, 
and neurogenesis is actually adding hardware to the the cortex you know mass physical mass and there are things that you can do that actually can result in those things so i don't is that know. learning to live with it type thing though i would you call it more learning to live with no i, I would say it's adaptation to... i mean i can't answer that but i i think the brain is pretty incredible with what it can do i mean you can even look at how people who have strokes can can relearn and the brain can develop new neural pathways Rewiring. yeah and and i think that but here's what i'll say i, I mean I, you need to be treated if you don't treat yep. it it doesn't just go away it would it takes intentional behavioral training and medication which we can talk about next time uh which is the the treatments of it but if just ignoring it isn't going to or wishing it goes away or praying that it goes away isn't going to make it go away just i guess the only reason i just want to touch this real quick again the only reason why i feel like that i asked about the lifelong is if it's genetic i don't know how the body is able to repair a genetic defect that's that's in your dna mm -hmm. and that's why i was saying you learn to live with it and learn how to find skills to cope with it and become a functioning member you know at, at whatever level right. it is well there's genetics yep. and then there's epigenetics and what you do uh, you know turns has a, a a factor in what turns genes on and turns gene genes off you have genes you've got the blueprint but what you do in terms of how you eat and how you sleep and how you breathe and how you move and how you you know like how you live your life and what how you supplement and all that stuff that's the the new sort of health 3.0 is saying you know your genes are not your destiny there's absolutely and i think some of the behavioral treatments and the medication treatments People with ADHD can live very normal lives with the correct treatment. They're completely re returned to, I mean, 50% of people with treatment re reduced to complete normal uh, neurological functioning. That's incredible. That's incredible. You know? And so for all of you listeners right now, this is a great reason why to listen to our next episode where we talk about treatment. Talk about meds there's, and, and There's all always, yeah. always hope. For sure. Um, so I learned, I learned every time I do this, I learn things. So yeah, me too. Um, me too. And so, you know, and I mean, sorry I, if it was a little scattered again, I, I kind of just took a ton of notes. I was like, all right, what can I distill down in 40 minutes to, uh, to communicate? So takeaway ADHD is a real disorder. It's a real medical problem. And it, it, it's very disruptive to people, kids, and especially to adults because of those seven executive issues that are negatively impacted by the condition. And so it's not because you're lazy. It's not because you're stupid. It's not because you're not trying hard enough or that you did anything wrong. And, and it's not because the mom did anything wrong. If she had an infection or if she had, it's not about, or because dad is too, was old. That's not about what, what this is about. It's not, that's, that's not the point. The point is that we have to deal with it. It's a real thing. And that there are some really good treatments that are available that were not available 20 years ago, you know, didn't exist. even probably even 10, 10 or five years, years ago, ago, five years ago. And there's new stuff coming out all the time. And so I think it's really exciting to be alive today. If you have some of these issues, because you have actual options for treatment, which we'll get into next time. Today's podcast was uh, adapted because and changed because of comments that our listeners leave us. So if you have a comments, positive, negative, please send them to podcast at lifteffect.com because it helps us drive what is important to our listeners. Also, 
if you go into the description in whatever service you're listening to this podcast at, there's a place for you to click on to get a free newsletter that we give every week. We don't sell anything or anything. It's just a, a way for you to, to share additional information. And don't forget, we do have a premium uh, channel for you. I got one thing I forgot to mention. Sorry. Yes. All of what Carl said, if you want to look at some really good research, I mentioned uh, Hallowell's book last time. There is a um, a guy by the name of, here, let me find it. I should know this because I've just read a ton of his stuff. Uh, and I actually have another one of his books. Russ Barkley, B-A-R-K-L-E-Y. This guy is unbelievable. He wrote a book called Taking Charge of ADHD for Parents and um, Taking Charge of ADHD for Adults, seminal books. And this guy has written some incredible research. I referenced a ton uh, from today from uh, interviews that I've done with him and some of his research papers. And I went back and looked at some of the, there's a new edition of his book that I, I'm going to pick up just from, I have the old edition, but uh, Russ Barkley, he's a, I think he's a neuropsychologist. But he's done a ton of this work and it's just very practical, hands-on manual for parents and for adults that have ADHD. So I cannot recommend that book enough. So anyways, just want to put the plug in for that. Give credit to that because he's, I mean, I just a wealth of knowledge. I'm going to keep reading his studies. As always, we ask you to share this with others. This started for uh, professional aviation um, uh, occupants, but as you can see, the things we talk about affect everything. And this is stuff right here that this information anybody can use and learn from. So please share it with your friends. Give us a thumbs up, positive reviews if you can, and uh, let us know. And we want to keep growing our, our, our audience. We thank you, and we can't wait to see you on our next uh, podcast. Until then, we hope you have a great day and uh, maybe not so quite snowy. <laughs> have a great one. See you, everybody. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Lift Effect podcast. If you want to dive deeper into this episode and every episode, go to the Lift Effect podcast.podbean. That's P O D B E A N.com. If you're enjoying the show, we would love it if you'd follow us on Spotify and rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate your support. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, all with the ID Matthew McNeil. This show is brought to you by Lift Effect, a clinical mental health and consulting company that assists air carriers, corporate flight departments, pilot unions, and commercial pilots by providing comprehensive psychotherapy and mental coaching services to pilots with mental health and mental performance-related issues. Visit lifteffect.com, that's L-I-F-T-A-F-F-E-C-T.com to book your free consultation. And finally, this podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of counseling, psychotherapy, medicine, or any other healthcare service, including the giving of medical advice. No therapeutic or provider-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and any materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional psychological advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining advice for any psychological or medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on the Lift Effect Podcast.